Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Monday to you as we always do on a Monday we have someone in to have a, a, a gander at some of the stories uh, some of the major stories from uh, the weekend uh, today our guests is our old pal Johnny Fallon Strategy Director at Car Communications and Political Anorak Johnny good afternoon to you good afternoon uh, now your first story is the ongoing thing about emissions targets yeah. and uh, and agriculture has it because we're, it, this is being reported about so much it seems like that's the only thing in terms of reducing our emissions. Obviously, there's loads of other sectors that uh, have to get in line on this as well. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting, you know, from a communications perspective, how much you can talk yourself into a bigger problem uh, sometimes with it, because, you know, emissions have been for years now, you know, Ireland is supposed to be you know trying to reduce its emissions. And the figures come out annually every year and we're struggling and we're going in the wrong direction mm-hmm. and the consistent warnings about it. Um, agriculture is in a slightly different space uh, in that whereas energy generation has problems, but they've made some progress. So they've made, you know, they're getting wind online and whatever, but they still have a lot more to go. Transport has an awful lot more to go, but a lot of cars off the road due to COVID and still haven't come back to the previous levels. And there's, you know, the talk of public transport, EVs. It's a lot of pain to be had in, in transport sector. Same for homeowners. Houses have to be mm-hmm. retrofitted. Agriculture is in this thing where, you know, still trying to increase the market and the miles of markets going up. Emissions are going up. And, you know, the situation where the minister was coming out last week looking at the figures for agriculture and saying, well, they're the same as they were in 2018, which essentially is really saying, well, four years have now passed and we've achieved nothing on emissions targets of four years. And what's happening here for agriculture is that the, the, the... as the emissions are, are becoming more and more of a problem, as we get closer to 2030, it's going up. You need to cut by more and more because you haven't done it in the last three yeah. or four years. And they still want to expand. It. It, what's interesting about it is, and I think what caught my eye about the story over the weekend, is you now have a group of Fine Gael TDs who are out to talk about, you know, a fair deal for rural Ireland and let's be, you know, fair about this and stop finger pointing at agriculture. Truth is, I don't think anybody is actually finger pointing. At agriculture. It's just agriculture is one of the sectors that has to do an awful lot of painful cuts. But most other sectors have now accepted we have to get on with the painful mm. cuts and we'll get on. Agriculture is still kind of sitting back and to a degree going, what about transport? What about the planes in the sky? What about the houses? What about... And in a way, they're bringing all that. that they're finger pointing at themselves. At themselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, look, the, the harsh reality, I suppose, is, and I, I, I say this because uh, I'm a rural dweller myself, but what I find fascinating is, you know, when you watch politicians and you watch these, like, if I was a TD, if I were coming into you now and I were a TD for Longford, you know, of course I'd be saying to you, I need a fair deal for rural Ireland. It can't be the same. I need Because I wouldn't get elected if I said to you the truth, which mm. is, you know, it, these targets are going to have to be met sooner or later. Yeah. The harder you go now, the better it is in the longer term. If you go easy now you're only building up a problem that you're going to have to do harder in five years, in 10 years, when climate change is having an impact on farming and adverse weather events make it even tougher for those families. But nobody really wants to hear that. What they want to hear is put it off for another few years and a magic bullet might happen in the meantime and we won't have to do it. Technology and all these things. And, And, you know, it is that kind of thing. It's maybe the weakness of democracy. We all do want the person who's going to get elected, the person who's going to tell you what you want to hear, 
not exactly what the truth is. We all shout at politicians. We want them to tell us the truth. But when they do, we don't elect them and we wouldn't elect anybody. And I know that as a rural Irish person myself, you know, looking at us, all the kind of things we talk about was the same for the the banking issues. When you talk about the future, we're always fighting in rural Ireland. Let's keep the turf. Let's keep the banks. Let's keep it. We're never talking about the future. And we're always that one step behind. And I think it does leave rural Ireland that real thing. We're always fighting for some part of the past. We're never actually fighting for a piece of the future. Mm. And until that happens, you're always going to be coming off second best. But again, that's not a platform for getting elected. Is that though an old, uh, I suppose, cultural trope in this country? The urban-rural divide that people in rural Ireland always feel like Dublin, you know, Dublin forward decides something and we have to roll in with it. Yeah, we do. And I suppose as rural dwellers, we'll always feel that. We always feel like, you know, it's a crowd in the city, you know, and they're telling us what to do and we won't be told what to do and we have to make our way of life known. But I think at the same time, there's a, a, a... there's an acceptance in, 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 in many of us in rural Ireland that we kind of go, well, this is all we've got and we can't reimagine the future. So we just keep saying, let's hold on to what we've got. Mm. And we keep battling on that in the same way as when companies like I remember a time when, you know, in, in politics, we were lobbying so hard in the 90s, so hard for the motorways for the advanced factories, for all the things that we wanted. And we fought tooth and nail to get them. Then when we got these advanced factories built, no companies to go into them. And the roads were no good because all the companies wanted was phone lines, high quality broadband lines because technology had moved on. Mm. The train line, the roadway, all that didn't matter anymore. We were still fighting for manufacturing industries that were now heading out to you know, China or Eastern Europe or somewhere else. And because we didn't see it coming, we suddenly had the roads and with these empty factories and then we're going, but we've nothing to fill them. And then we're saying, well, now we'll get up with the broadband. And now, but sure, look, we're still way behind on broadband, broadband. And, in a time when, when people are having the opportunity to work from home, you know? Yeah. Oh, but, oh, but and in, in fairness, though, like farming is, is, is uh, to, to most families, it is an income, obviously, mm-hmm. but it's also, you know, intergenerational. It's weaved into the, uh, the uh, fabric of life as well. And, you know, you can't go, well, you've got a herd there of 300 and you have to cut that down to 50. It's not, it's like moving, terrible pun, but moving an oil tanker. It takes a while to do that. And maybe there hasn't been enough in terms of, uh, uh, from the government side to say, well, here are your alternatives. Here's a plan of how to do that. Here are supports to help you do that. Yeah. And I think, I think there, you know, there is a need for that. And that's where you'd like to see the debate going into saying being really constructive about we are willing to change. Let's stop. Let's see how we meet these targets with what we've got. Because there's not a lot, you know, the talk that the the one that's always gone to is the thing like the National Herd. Because the problem with the National Herd, though, according to the statistics that are revealed, are, are, are the National Herd is increasing. Not that it's decreasing, not that it's even staying the same. It just keeps getting bigger. And at some point, you've got to say, OK, what we have in farming, we've got. We can't keep expanding that herd. OK, that's the problem. So can we have keep what we've got and then look at, you know, we don't have to cut us, don't have to cut back, but then look at other solutions that maybe can say, right, OK, how do we reduce the emissions from all of that process and everything else that goes with us? But you're never going to have that discussion while you're still saying, no, don't look at our emissions on that. Look over at transport. Stop the fella in the plane <laughs> or the car or then people in Dublin. We all have to do it. And that's that's the harsh thing, I think, about the climate debate right now is that everybody, we have to get on with actually just implementing stuff because we've so many plans. Government has had now we've got two climate action plans that have been brought out. We're plans, plans, plans. We just never seem to actually get to 
when have we actually done the stuff? We're still yeah. debating and negotiating the plan. And then someone goes, don't do that bit of the plan. We're going to go against that bit. And everything is a debate and a negotiation. Meanwhile, you're looking and thinking, we're just losing time here, guys. You know, yeah. if we got yeah. on with it, maybe we could do it. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe. Is it a, because I suppose, and it's a cliche as well, but that farmers particularly, there's always a knee-jerk reaction of, we're the real victims here. Uh, and there is, and, and look, some of that is justified from the fact that, you know, farming has had a huge challenge in the last, yeah. you know, the huge amount of transformation. And as you say, the supports haven't been there. Maybe it hasn't been valued enough as, as its career. But I also think that it has been, there were certain things that worked for a farming lobby that became a habit like you know negotiations at EU level yeah, and you actually yeah. protested and you went there's not much point having these protests out there you know about these kind of things when everybody's suffering the same kind of things it's not up to government to just give it to you you're going to have to find the solution and I think there's still a little bit of it's a government trying to get at us rather than you know this is a problem we have to find a solution to um, mm. it's still that and I think they're wedded very strongly to the idea among farming representatives that there's a negotiation here that they can do when really, you know, it isn't about negotiation. It's about thinking up the right solution and actually getting on with it and implementing it. Yeah, I mean, there does seem to be a negotiation in the sense of, you know, whatever the figure is, is going to be nowhere near 30%. Well, that's absolutely, and you know, that's that's a critical thing about it that we got ready. There will be, and, and in the same way, you're going to have some kind of celebration of that, you know, as a success and people threaten... And then we'll probably be back in five years going, but you know what? We didn't meet our targets. So yeah. next round is going to be harsher. <laughs> it's like, like the maths won't go away. <laughs> yeah. uh, right now, another big uh, story, because uh, we are coming, uh, uh, well, in, in the relatively short term, uh, Mial Martin will swap chairs with uh, Leo Varadkar. Um, and there has been a lot of commentary about getting rid of Micheál Martin. Mm. Is there a great thirst within Fianna Fáil, do you think, to actually go ahead and do it? I think, yeah, I think within a, a sizable portion of the party there is. Um, and and it's it's not out of any b- particular bitterness. Some maybe have some, some bitterness and, and uh, discontented feelings. But I think in the main, it's the realism of leaders always have a difficulty in being able to find, if you like, their landing point. You know, where mm. do they touch down and go, that's it. It's done. And if you look at, you know, at all Tishi we've 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 had, you know, in, and even in recent times from Enda Kenny, Bertie Ahern, there was always that period of months and a year around that going on. Th- no, no, no. Just give me another little while. I want to do this thing. I want mm. to address the houses in the US. I want to visit the president. I want to do the board. Leave me till this event. This th- They always want a bit longer because leaders are always looking for their next legacy, their yeah. next moment that they go. And I think for me, Hall Martin, He's come into this uh, election and is now looking, his period of Taoiseach, very much the pandemic all the way through, but there's nothing memorable all the same within that, that you'd say that's your legacy moment. And I think he's still looking for that. And I think he'd like a bit more time to kind of just find, even if it is as leader of Fianna Fáil and minister, to find that landing point. But it's not kind of there. Now, the problem for Fianna Fáil is that as a party, though, parties look differently than the leader. They do see the writing on the wall, even if the leader doesn't. And for Fianna Fáil, they're looking at it saying, look, they had a really good election in 2016. They had a reason. That was their kind of comeback election. They had four good years in terms of opinion polls right up to 2020. They really had an open goal in 2020. Most people predicted they were coming back with 50 to 60 seats at the lower end, possibly Mm. even more. Then in the couple of weeks of the campaign, it fell apart. And the truth was, it was because it lacked any inspiration. 
it lacked any leadership. And when Hall and Leo started debating, it never caught fire and people began to realise this all looks a bit stale and samey and 2016 all over again. So I think Fianna Fáil are very aware of that. I think within the party they know, look, fighting another election is going to take some kind of new inspiration. You have mm. to go back to people and say 10 years is a long time for anyone to be in leader of any party. So they're looking and Fianna Fáil thinking of the next election, saving seats and trying to say we need to show a new face. We need to be able to say we're reformed. If they go into it, they're kind of thinking, well, the longer Mihal stays, the less chance that person has. And Mihal's going to take up a place at cabinet. You know, he's mm. going to be a cabinet minister as leader of the party. And then what? That somebody else loses out on a job. For what? For Mihal to be a minister nodding to the new Taoiseach, uh, Leo Varadkar. It just, they will see it as, look, there's a natural end, Mihal. you know. You step down as Taoiseach, you step aside, we put in a new leader and we can keep this arrangement going for another year or two on the basis that the new leader's bedding in. Keeping it going while Michal's there just just looks, I think, to Fianna Fáil, just not much point in it. It's just stalling them trying to reinvigorate the party. That said, I think their biggest problem is that there aren't any standout leaders to yes. take over from them. Well, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and perhaps no standout leaders plus, you know, what does Fianna Fáil 2.0 look like? Absolutely. How does that make it look any way different to anyone else? Yeah, and, you know, even it's a, it's a problem for the government uh, as, as a whole because this government was formed in the midst of the pandemic and coming into it. So it wasn't like we were getting a government where you were saying this is a government that's out to tackle the jobs crisis, the Northern Ireland peace process. When traditional things, governments came out and laid themselves out. It kind of came together just as in, right, we've got to get in and we've got to sort out the pandemic. The pandemic kind of drifting away now, gone out of the public consciousness. And we're looking at a government going, is this a government to tackle what? What's the social ideology of the mm. government? Well, and it doesn't seem to have one. It doesn't seem to have a strategy or a purpose. Normally, your programme for government would give you that, but the programme for government is actually a bit of everything and anything. And, you know, then you've the issues. Michal Martin, I think Jack Chambers on News Talk this morning was, was, was talking about this, the issues they were looking at getting housing, you know, the cost of living, health. They are not issues this government is going to be able to solve in two years. No, you know, no, uh, or even make much of an impression on. Deemed to be uh, issues that that government caused or sat uh, yeah. sat on top of, and that much got better. Exactly, and the problem with those kind of issues when you 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 lay them out as being your strategy, and you lay them out as being you know people are saying, well, okay, well, so what are you going to have achieved in the two years? And that becomes a bit wishy washy. So I think you know, for the government, there is a chance for them now when Leo Varadkar is taking over to reassess their strategy and kind of give this government a personality and an actual definition and say we do have really key objectives that you can measure us by coming into the next election. We're going to give this some kind of personality to people say that was a kind of government a memorable government in some way and then for Fianna Fáil it is kind of trying to decide look they still have this battle now over the soul of the party and and their problem is there's still a group in Fianna Fáil who will be quite happy with the government arrangement because they will say yes well it was always a big centrist party in Mm, its heyday so it has a certain amount of people who are kind of okay with being close to Fine Gael there is a large number of people too who will be much closer and saying I'd be much more at ease in coalition with Sinn Féin than I am with Fine yeah, Gael. Yeah. And it's tearing itself against those two sides because it doesn't know should we compete for that kind of centre-left or should we just accept and be centre-right? What is it? What should we... What, what is that? And it needs to define that. And it needs, and unfortunately, as it's doing that, you're looking at polls and many in Fianna Fáil will be looking at those polls and saying, look, 
a lot of those Sinn Féin votes, they're all Féin Fáil votes. They have to yeah. be on the mats alone, you know, um, that have now drifted into Sinn Féin. How do you get them back? Will you ever get them back, you know? Um, and that's, it's it's a massive task for them. And that's why, as I say, there's, there's no definite leader coming out because you look at Féin Fáil with due respects to all of them in it, but nobody stands out and you go, there's somebody, you know. In, in old, a lot of times in parties when you look, there's normally one or two people that are saying there's real pressure coming from that. That person could be a leader. Yeah. That person, there's a groups behind them. You're kind of seeing a mishmash of groups, but nobody really owns the soul of Fianna Fáil if it has one anymore. <laughs> and that's the question. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and indeed, is there anybody within Fianna Fáil that you could say that person wants to be leader? I think there's a, probably a few that want to be um, a leader. I mean, Jim O'Callaghan is the one name that always comes up and mm. seems to have been been, been pushing uh, quite hard with it. I mean, Barry Cowan seems to be close to him too. I'm sure Barry would have his own um, uh, ambitions within that. There are a couple of people who've been to the fore, but they just don't seem to get the gravitas that normally goes with being a leader. That real sense of, I know exactly what the people in general in the party want and I'm able to bring them with me or bring extra voters with mm. me to it. And that's what's until people can start to see that, they're going to be nervous about the, the change in leader. Yeah, also it strikes me that, that Fine Gael is a centre-right party. They're, mm. you know, they, they would self-define as a centre-right party. The centre-left on Irish politics is crowded now. Very so crowded. There's really nowhere for Fianna Fáil to go. Yeah, and, and you know, that's possibly one of the biggest... I mean, traditionally, people used to always say, you know, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil are, are exactly the same. And, and in many ways, you could say that. I'd argue, you know, any parties that go into government all end up looking the same anyway, because <laughs> you all true. end up saying yes. the same thing. So once you're a long time in government, you'll, you'll come out looking of one shade or colour. But Fianna Fáil would have always kind of had this argument that Fine Gael, you see, were always very definite about being centre-right. That's where they, they were there. Yeah. And they were always quite, yeah. quite clear on their identity. Fianna Fáil eschewed, wasn't, there was an old line that it's not left or right, it's right or wrong. And, you know, we could be right wing one day, we could be left wing the next because it's about what's right and what's wrong, yeah. not about choosing an ideology that'll have to define us. We can be rich, we can be poor, we can be... And that worked for many years. It allowed them to draw these kind of things in from people from various groups in. The problem now is that as you get smaller as a party, that's harder to do. It's easier. That's actually much easier to do when you're a big, broad party with 70, 80 seats and you can get harder to do when you're down to 20 odd seats, mm. you know, and that's that's now a challenge. They're less defined than Fine Gael. And as you say, the centre left is, is, yes, it's crowded, but Fianna Fáil are probably looking at it going, yeah, but we've allowed Sinn Féin walk right into it and they are gathering up that. They're getting up to those poll numbers we used to get to and how did we let that happen, you know? Yeah, they could probably, uh, because uh, uh, obviously we, they, they, we had another All-Ireland at the weekend, uh, they probably wish they were the GAA in that regard. <laughs> in fact, you know, they kind of used to be the political yeah. version of the GAA, yeah. you know, where yeah. there was a come on everywhere and they'd know everybody and how they'd vote and that kind I of thing. You know, we're talking about rural Ireland. I remember Pat Spillane, um once saying, you know, look, at there are, there are three pillars to life in Ireland. There was uh, Fianna Fáil, the Catholic Church and the GAA. Um, two of those pillars have completely collapsed, you know, and you're left with the GAA, which is still the one that's able to go on and see a packed Croke Park over the weekend and how it's in a modern age managed to transform despite all the competing games, all the success soccer has had, everything else over the last while, yet the GAA manages. And, you know, when you look at it, you do think it's all down to 
you know, the founders of it having a brilliant vision of exactly how they wanted to structure this. And it's structured on your parish and on your county. And we're all impacted by it. We're, mm. You know, you'll never find if you go to the UK, you go to even other countries in Europe, you never find the passion for county to be as strong anywhere as it is in Ireland. Like we'd have rows over our county. And it's largely because we've been defined by the GAA. We know, you know, I'm from Longford and Longford is everything to me and therefore don't split me in a constituency if it's a day. I want my hospital in my county. I want this in my yes. county and it can't be in the neighbouring county because them lads are always trying to get one over on us. That rivalry there, it's at huge levels in, in Ireland and largely because of just that exact thing, that idea that, you know, GAA, county, inter-county rivalries, it's enormous. Yeah, indeed. But at the same time, it's also, you know, they're not exploiting those divisions like it's a unifying force It's a very unifying force, particularly in communities, because when you look at like a a particular group or community, you look at, you know, how everybody pulls together. And I think it is that idea that, you know, you get a team together. It's a group of young fellas, but you know, everybody else is involved in us in some way from the fundraising, from the pitch, from everything in every parish in every. And then if some of those lads get on to play for county teams, all the schools are involved. And, you know, one thing I always say about all sports, because sometimes people ask you something, how do we do something or can we do a comms campaign for sports groups or whatever? And I always say to them, you know, the biggest problem we got is that like you go, there is nobody that I know of in Ireland who hasn't had the opportunity to play GAA. You know, mm. you are always, you're just thrown out on a pitch. I know, so I was small and skinny. It was fairly useless. But, you know, you were still thrown out there because they needed to make up 15 players. And they said, I should go on. Just don't do any harm. Stand in the corner and keep the fella, the, the defender occupied. Rugby, not so much. There's loads of schools, primary yeah. schools, secondary schools that have no interest, never get to play rugby, never. It's within a certain small group of schools. Even soccer, the club set up the way it goes in. Everybody plays GA, everybody, and therefore you just get this thing that even if you were never any good at it, you still think, oh yeah, but I kicked a ball and that's my team and that's my club and that's my parish. And it brings an affinity with it that people never leave behind. Oh them. no, and you'll have fellas like who are in their 50s who play in a B team. Yeah. You know, you have to <laughs> yeah. stop to throw up every 10 minutes when they're playing, but uh, you know, that, that never leaves them, that's, uh, which is an extraordinary thing, uh, really. Also, of course, uh, uh, the cost of living. Now, it's interesting because this is an issue we haven't really had to, mm. the government really hasn't had to face for the last decade. Haven't had to face it in, in quite a while. And it's it's interesting, they've faced elements of it because, you know, this is one of these debates that hits economies all the time. You'll remember, you were, you know, covering these stories in the Celtic Tiger. And mm. what did we have in, in the Celtic You know, if you take the Celtic Tiger, we'd come out of, you know, 1980s. Let's go back to the 1980s, take Recession Ireland of, yeah. of the 1980s and a grim place. And then we got this idea, which we've imported from Germany, of social partnership. It's like, okay, we can have an agreement on wage levels and if we contain the wage levels, we can then give tax breaks. And we did that, did that well for a couple of years. And then we all start getting, oh, but, you know, the wage agreement increases aren't enough, so we want a bit more because, particularly in public sector wages, as that goes up, suddenly cost of living is back suddenly. And in the Celtic Tiger, you had the old thing, you know, a garden, a teacher can't buy a house disaster. So we start building houses, we start doing all the boom things and we're heading back there again in Ireland in our own way in in this. Now we've had us, I suppose, accentuated by what's happening globally and a crisis which we've no control over again for the second time in in the last 20 years hitting a crisis that's really of global levels and so many elements we can't impact. And the biggest problem for us now is that we are going to face a winter where a lot of people are going to be struggling. And unfortunately, while people do actually get the idea that we need wage restraint, 
and we need to be able to, you know, not have the wages going out of control. That will keep inflation in line. And of course, the banks are going to put up the mortgage rates to stop us all spending. And if we all stop spending, inflation will fall back. But you have to spend on your home heating. You do, yeah. You have to yeah. spend on the food, and you have, to, and they are, go, and that's going to push up the inflation. And then each individual is going to say, "Yeah, but I get the overall picture. But right now, I need an extra five grand or ten grand a mm. year." And I, and it gets into that cycle, and it's so difficult for economies worldwide to break that cycle once it kicks in. Yeah, especially if it's you know you have to take the uh, yeah. the, the course in your family and uh, it's going to affect your kids. And, and going back and to what we said about you know where's the politician who's going to come and tell you that's what's going to happen? Like the guy you'll get elected is the guy who's going to say, "Listen, no, it's not you, it's him. I'm going to get him. Yeah. And I'm going to take it all from him, and you're going to be fine. You'll elect him." Then when he gets in, he can't take it off that guy, so he ends up taking it off you anyway, and you get into the cycle of broken promises. But that's what that's what democracy still does. You know, we, we, we love the idea of being told what we want to hear. Johnny, thanks a million for coming into us as ever. Uh, Johnny Fallon, there you are, listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break after that. Ireland's first satellite. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2 p.m. On News Talk.